0: This January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big book boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne S. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to OA50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's OA50th, 50thorg Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oallayg.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Michael. Hello everybody, my name is Michael and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um I want to thank God for my abstinence and my sobriety. Um, every single day that I get up, I get on my knees and I thank God for the way my life has changed since I've come into these rooms and to this room. I want to thank Chase for asking me to speak today at my home meeting. I've been coming to this meeting since February of last year when I came into OA and I sit in that chair every week and it evens me out and I feel so relaxed. And today I feel really, really nervous and, <laughs> really, uh, and I was saying a few prayers there and um, this afternoon I was in Pasadena and uh, I phoned my sponsor I don't know, and I said to him I'm getting really, really worked up about speaking at like a Candle and, and uh, he's not here, he's at yoga but he gave me some good tips as he always does and he just said speak from your heart and don't plan it and I don't, so I'm just going to tell you what's on my mind and what it was like and um, what a dramatic change it is today and I've got some photographs here that dreaded me fifteen months ago I came into a uh, program over 300 pounds and today I weigh about 183 pounds and uh, 15 months I've lost a lot of weight in that time and um, things got very very bad for me I'm a recovering alcoholic um, I'm in AA as well my primary addiction is uh, food and um, For about 10 years I suffered from bulimia as well. So I'm going to start, I'm going to talk a little bit about my childhood and obviously I'm not from here. I grew up in the UK and I came to America about six years ago. But I grew up, uh, I come from a Scottish family but I grew up in the north of England near Manchester, a big city in the north of England and I grew up in a very chaotic, very unhappy uh, home. My father's an alcoholic, was an alcoholic, my brother's an alcoholic, my sister's bulimic And then there's me. So it's kind of genetic. And um, as a boy, um, my eating disorder really started when I was about five years of age. And um, I loved chocolate chocolate is my absolute favorite and uh, in Britain we have the best chocolate ever. Forget about your Hershey's, we've got Cadbury's chocolate and um, when I first came to America I went in a Ralph's and and I could see the Cadbury's cream eggs and I thought oh my god they sell them here and that was my absolute addiction to these cream eggs but um, I discovered chocolate when I was about five because it used to really, really calm me down and and, um, All I can remember about my childhood was was just my mother in tears all the time, slamming of doors, my father who was uh, a really, really bad, very abusive drunk, and he used to be very abusive to me and my sisters and my mother, and I used to eat chocolate because it made me feel better, and I I remember um, when I was about seven or eight, I read this book, my gran gave me this book called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and I was absolutely just amazed by this book Charlie Bucket the young guy in it who won a golden ticket I don't know if you've read the book and I just always wanted to own a. Cho- I always wanted to be Charlie Bucket and, and have a chocolate factory. And when we were at school, I'm a Catholic. And at school, the nuns used to say, so what do you want to do when you grow up?" And the, the girls I wanted to be ballerinas, and the boys all wanted to play for Manchester United. And I put my hand up and I said, "I want to own a chocolate factory." <laughs> and uh, the nun would slap me and go, "You know you can't do that. You're either a priest or you're going to be a doctor or something like that." So I didn't own a, I didn't grow up to own a chocolate factory, but. I certainly certainly 18 after. Oh, right. <laughs> so, uh, it really started badly for me when I was about 12. My father died of alcoholism. And I remember the night he died, I went downstairs, it was in the middle of the night. My mother was there with a priest, and she told me my father had died. And I just remember feeling absolute joy that my father had died. And um, that guilt carried all the way through my teen years, and really all the way through my life. And I knew there was something wrong with me at school, because I was really into sport, it was really funny, I was really good at sport, and I was quite athletic, but I used to stuff my face with chocolate all the time, and I'd hide chocolate under my bed, and, you know, my mother would be like, you know, this is kind of strange, you know, you're always eating chocolate, and, you know, and then I started learning to drink in Britain, we have a real pub culture, and I started to drink when I was about 16, and then the drinking started taking over, and then when I got to university, I went to university in Scotland, um... You know my drinking was really out of control, and I started getting myself into a lot of trouble but i was I was quite good at school. I was always pretty good academically. I could you know get through exams quite easily and I remember at my final exams, I was in this huge big room, and there was a girl sitting next to me, and I had all this chocolate laid out on the <laughs> desk while I was doing my exams because it used to really level me off it used to just calm me down, and it was like a it food became a real great friend to me, and it was like you know it, it got me through things. You know, and it didn't get me into the trouble that alcohol did. You know, when I used to drink heavily I always got into trouble but the food but I started getting kinda, you know, out of shape and it was really hard for me. And then I started really getting into running and exercise and I started throwing up when I was running. And I had no idea that was bulimia until I came into a way. I just thought it was normal, you know, this is the insanity of it. So all through my twenties, you know, I'd go out running and I'd run so hard I'd throw up and um, you know sometimes I'd throw up and there'd be vomit down the front of my shirt and I used to hide a shirt in in the garage and I'd you know a a different running shirt and I'd come in and I'd change it and I'd hide this vomit covered shirt and I'd go in with this you know dry shirt and my mother'd go you really fit you. you're never sweating and you look great and and then uh, you know I met a girl and I got you know involved with a girl and I used to do the same with her and she you know but she knew there was something wrong and I you know, I just I kept my weight at a reasonable level but because I was really hammering my body and I was running and I was pushing myself beyond belief. And everything was always chaotic in my life. I always had to be the best at everything, you know, I had to have the best job, you know, I had to get the best of results in, in my exams, you know. everything had to be perfect and it never was. It was never perfect because I couldn't control anything. And um then the drinking really started taking over and, and the girlfriend I was with, we got married. We both had really a horrible kind of childhood, so we took off and didn't tell anybody, and we just got married. And to this day, some of my family don't know that I got married. <laughs> and um, yeah, and um, I attracted another alcoholic. I, you know, we attract, we say we attract, so my wife was, you know, full of problems as well. And we used to drink heavily together, and it was just a really chaotic relationship. And we got really addicted to one another. It wasn't healthy, you know, it wasn't, I loved her it wasn't a healthy love you know it was like you know when she was with me I couldn't wait I just wanted her to get out of the apartment and when she wasn't there I was like where is she you know it was like really kind of strange relationship and she was exactly the same so you know when we went out we lost a lot of friends because if anybody if any man went and spoke to her I'd be like what's he saying to you you know I'd get really jealous and it, God behold if any girl spoke to me she'd be like at me all the time and it was just a really chaotic horrible kind of relationship and then with an addiction we had to each other. We started hating one another, and then my eating disorder really started kicking in. And I got into my thirties, and I couldn't carry on with the throwing up and the running into running myself into the ground. And and she used to find chocolate hidden all over the house, and she'd say, "Why, you know, this is really strange, you know." And so I started using the alcohol to stop eating as much, and, and it just it got really out of hand. And then my relationship broke down with her, and. Um, an opportunity came to come to America and I did a geographic I didn't have a job and um, I had one friend in LA and I came here about six years ago and um, I just turned up with two bags and and my friend picked me up and I had about $7,000 in in my pocket and uh, that was it and I came to America and um I thought that uh, everything would fall into place and um, America would bring me all the great things and the dreams and the immigrant and you know uh, and what fantasy that was and um, things got, things were very very hard for me in Los Angeles I found it a very hard place to make friends and I was very very lonely and um, you know things got very bad for me here and uh, I did I managed to get a job uh, in in corporate America and it just got worse and worse and the alcohol got worse and worse and I was talking to my sponsor last night and um, he said to me you know I'm I'm that lonely I I don't want to go back to my apartment and I I knew exactly what he was talking about because I never wanted to go home and I used to go to bars and just sit there or I'd sit in diners and I just got bigger and bigger and fatter and more miserable. And just no friends, no girlfriend, nothing you know and it was just it was just a really and then I started really getting you know I was a workaholic as well, and, and it came to a head. Um, I was working in Boston, and um, my boss is Australian, I was Australian, and I was uh, on the Friday afternoon, we finished work, and I, there were some people from Boston and said, "We'll take you out into Boston, and I woke up on on Monday afternoon in the hotel room lying on the floor with my blackberry going and my boss screaming into the blackberry room where the hell are you and I couldn't remember anything about the weekend nothing and I was really scared and I had bruises on my face and um, I couldn't find my wallet and I should have been at work and my boss said you need to get on a plane now and get back to LA and I really thought I was going to lose my job my visa everything and, and that was my real bottom with alcohol and I had these alcoholic shakes tremors they talk about in the big book and I got on this plane and uh, everybody was looking at me, and I looked terrible, you know, and, and I, I was shaking, and I was really, I was in a lot of fear, and I kept running to the back of the plane, and I was throwing up in the toilet, and, you know, I got back to LA, and the next day, um, you know, my boss called me in, and, and she sat me down, Jan, and, and she said, "You've got a really serious problem. I was married to a drunk for 15 years, and you need to get this, you need to get some help." and she said I'm not going to fire you they want to fire you I'm not going to fire you but you're going to take some time off and I broke down in tears and um, I took a couple of weeks off and um, I did stop drinking but I couldn't stop eating and uh, it was over Christmas of last year and I was living in Pasadena and it was New Year's Eve they have the Rose Parade there and it's so busy in Pasadena on New Year's Eve all these people are camping and it was you know I was living in an old town and you know, I walked out my apartment and I was just in a, such a state and um, I just felt everything was closing in on me, and I just had no hope I had no hope I tried everything to stop eating and get my life back on you know i 'm a very strong person in all other aspects, my job and all these things, but I just couldn 't stop eating and I was just obsessed with getting drunk, and I just was beside myself and I walked up this this road and I saw this huge big church. St. Andrew's Catholic Church, and I hadn't been in it before, I'd not gone near church for decades. And I walked in there at New Year's Eve, and it was quiet, and it's the most beautiful church in Los Angeles. And I sat at the back, and there was nobody in there, and I sat down, and I broke, I just totally broke down, and I said, If there's a God now, I need you now, because I can't go on. And I sat there, and I am not a spiritual, religious person and I'm not kidding you now, a great peace came over me, and I just sat there for hours because I didn't want to leave, and I just felt better, I just felt better, and then this old woman came over to me, and she was talking in Spanish to me, and she was the cleaner, and she wanted to lock up and get me out of there, and, and, you know, I looked at my watch, and I'd gone in there at four o'clock in the afternoon. And it was early evening at this time. And four o'clock in the afternoon then, it was midnight in the UK, and that was New Year's Day. And it was the start of something new. And I just remember praying, you know, looking up and praying to God, just saying, please help me, because I just can't go on like this. You know, I just didn't know what else to do. And I, and I felt okay. The binging carried on. And then my friend who was an alcoholic said, I'm going to take you to an AA meeting. I'd, I'd heard of it, and I didn't know anything about the 12 steps. And he uh, took me to my first AA meeting in Pasadena. And I, I couldn't really figure it out. And, you know, I was like, is that a prayer group? You know, and I was like, this is kind of weird. And these people all look kind of, you know, kind of worn out here. You know, it's like, wow. And then um, there was all this food there, though. And I thought, mm, you know, maybe this is not for me. And, and uh, you know, they're all stuff in their faces. You know, like most AA meetings do, to be honest. And then um, my friend said, you should try... Uh, the OA. And I said, you know, I've never heard of it. So I typed it into Google and it came up and I, I, I looked for the nearest meeting to Pasadena and it was in Glendora. And um, I went to my first AA meeting in February of last year. And this was my introduction to OA. I walked in and it was a men's stag on a Sunday night in this OA clubhouse. And there was a man lying in the middle of the room, lying in the middle of the room and I walked in and he, and he sat up and he looked at me and he went do you believe in God and I went yeah and he went good and he laid back down again. <laughs> and that was my and imagine how terrified I was and I, you know, and, then, and then I just sat there and I thought what should I leave should I stay what should I do you know, and, and then two or three other men came in and then this guy came in called Daryl who spoke here and he said you know you want to you go to this meeting in Brentwood there's this Irish guy and, and another guy called Walter that run this meeting a lot of young people there and you'll probably really like it so I thought okay I'll give it a go and the next Saturday I, I came to this meeting and that's where it all started for me and I walked up those stairs that we come up to the top of the classroom here and I was about 305 pounds and I was so out of shape and I was just covered in sweat and I felt disgusted and ashamed of myself and I sat right at the back of that lady sitting at the back there and I was just terrified and I just sat and, and I just listened for about a month. I came every week, and you know, I was like, "There's no Irish guy in here. I can't hear any accents." <laughs> and uh, and I thought, oh, "This isn't. They're all thin. They're in good shape. and They all look so well. This is like, hold oh on a minute." Because I thought everybody'd be like me, you know. And and uh, and then I, I, you know, I just I just felt I just felt at home here. You know, I didn't really know what it was all about, but I felt it home here. And then I went over. And I introduced myself to Nicky, the Irishman with the Irish-American accent. And he made me so welcome. You know, he made me so welcome. And then he introduced me to Walter. And then I met all the other people who come here. And you made me so welcome. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. And I'm And that's where it started for me. And, uh... And, um... I owe... I owe you so much, so much and, um, and then they took me to a retreat and um, you know they really helped me a lot because I just, I couldn't go on, I couldn't go on the way I was and I tried everything and I'd let so many people down. You know, if laying a few books out here helps the meeting and repays you people for what you've done for me, then that's a small thing, that's a small price to pay. And um, my life just took off and I started working the steps and um, things just started getting so much better for me and then I, I was working for a bank at the time in Pasadena and then um, the bank collapsed and I lost all my money that I'd invested all my, all the shares and stocks and um, I was in a really bad way about it but coming to this meeting just helped me and it helped me get through those times and I what I'm trying to say is that just coming to this meeting and just working the steps and doing service and working with my sponsor just changed the way I thought about things And it changed the way I reacted to things. And so when my job collapsed and I lost all my money, I thought I need to do something here. And I remember sharing at a meeting in Santa Monica. I really love Santa Monica and I really want to live there and I want to get a really good job and I want to, you know, I just want to start living a normal life again. Thank you. And um, I applied for a great job and I never thought I'd get it in the entertainment business and I got it. And um. I now live in Santa Monica. And I don't say this to impress you. I I earn more money now than I've ever earned before. And I have all these people reporting to me. And I love my job. And I love my boss. And I'm so grateful. Every day I get on my knees and I thank God for what's happened to me. But the greatest thing that's happened to me is this program. and, And the people that have come into my life. And the people that I've met. And... I've met such incredibly intelligent people, smart people, educated people in this program, who are my friends, and friends that I've never would have ever met in any other walk of life. And during the summertime, and I don't want to embarrass this person, but during the summertime, I was in such a bad way. I was working in Austin, Texas, and it was really hard for me. And I was very lonely in this hotel room. And I was going to these OA meetings in Texas, and they were good. And, and And Walter said to me, "Get online and, and start listening to the light of candle speakers, and I was in such a bad way one night and um, I listened to the speaker, uh, Jeffrey, and he just told my story, and it helped me. You know He told how he used to wake up early and go to Malibu and just sit there and eat McDonald's and go to a rouse and that 's what I used to do. I thought this is just so strange that i 'm listening I thought i 've got to get this guy 's number." and I'm, you know, I called him and we met and he's now a great friend of mine and he helps me you know and Mickey helps me you know and Walter my sponsor wonderful man that is always there for me and now it's my turn to give something back and so I've just started sponsoring and these, all these people are asking me to sponsor them and I've got um, a couple of really good guys they're both in the room today and um, they need help that they're good people and they're going to do really well in this program. They've got great willingness and a lot of integrity about them and, and I'm working with them already and, and um, I'm very honoured that they've come to me. And um, So I'm going off track a little bit here but that's just how I feel about the program. So I want to talk a little bit about the steps. So I've done all the steps. I think the first step... Was when I walked in that room and that man was lying on the ground. And it <laughs> step one, uh, step three was really hard for me to turn my will over to the care of God. as I understood understanding, but I do pray every day. I pray a lot to God. You know, I'm always talking to God. In the morning when I'm going to work, I feel really stressed out because I'm under a lot of pressure. You know, and there's a lot of expectation of me. And so I, I, when I'm driving down to work, I, you know, I say to God, "Please help me today. Just help me get through today, and just help me be the best." Person, I can be the best employee, the best manager, and help me be of service to my boss. And, and help me be, you know, just help me be honourable and, and, and honest in what I do because you don't always find that in corporate America. You know, you see a lot of ego and people, you know, that's their stuff. And I try and keep out of that. And the more I'm transparent and honest with people, the better it is for me, but also the better it is for them as well if you understand what I'm saying. And then I made a searching in Fearless Moral Inventory and that took me a long time. That took me about a month to do and then five, I sat down with my sponsor uh, in Dolores's diner in Santa Monica Boulevard and it took about six or seven hours and I told him everything. I didn't hold back. I told him everything that I'd done. You know, and some of the things I'd done were I was very ashamed about. You know, I was not a very good husband or boyfriend. You know, I was... Um, I was an adulterer and I um, I wasn't very respectful and um, I was very ashamed of that behaviour yeah very ashamed and uh, I really let my wife down and uh, I didn't get a chance to tell her how sorry I was in person and then uh, I went through six, seven, and eight, and then step nine was the most powerful step for me. And I went home to the UK to do it uh, about a month ago. And uh, I contact I found I contacted my wife, and uh, she didn't want to see me. And then she said, that, "You know, what what's this about? We did it by email." And I wrote a long email to her explaining about my food addiction and my alcoholism and I I wrote a very long email, a very heartfelt email and I told her how sorry I was for the pain that I put her through and uh, she stood by me so many times and um, I just wish I could turn the clock back, but I can't and she wrote a really nice email back to me and she said, I know that you have all these problems, you had them when we were married. But I, I wish you all the best. And uh I cried when I read the email. And she said she'd met somebody else and um I just wrote back and I wished her all the best. And uh said he was a very lucky man. And then um, the big amends I had to make was to my mother. And uh I sat down with her, and this is a person who's been through so much pain because of addictions, and has never had addictions, and has li- lived a really good life. And she was a loving, caring mother, and I told her how sorry I was, and, uh, and I said, I, you know, I feel so, I just said to her, I really love you a lot, and I, I'm just so sorry. And she got out of chair. And she said, "What are you talking about? you're the best son a woman could have, and to hear that was just incredible and she's trying to convince me to move back to Britain yeah. <laughs> and uh she said, "You went out there to America, and yeah, but you look at how you know well you've done, and you're fighting this illness. she doesn't really understand the food and she says you're fighting it and you know, she's an old Catholic woman, you know, and, and she said, just get to Mass, son, you'll be fine. <laughs> and I tell her about these meetings, and she, she'll she say, but you're getting to Mass. And I, yeah, I am getting to Mass. And then, and then that was really powerful, and, you know, I hugged her, and we spent a whole week together, and um, that was really hard to leave her at the airport. It was very hard. And then my sister, who I hadn't seen for ten years, and I told her all about this. this I've got two sisters one is normal and lives in England no problems and another one is bulimic in Australia and um, I have two nieces that I hardly know and um, one one's at university in England and is, is doing Camp America and I hardly know her and this is a great thing about program and I've rebuilt a relationship with my sister and I love my sister and uh, my my niece is coming out to visit me So uh, I have a loving family again And that's great And my brother is still battling the disease And my sister in Australia And and I spoke to her And and she has exactly the same thing as me And and she's not in recovery And um, I keep sending her these links So I know she's listening And I'm praying for you every day 'Cause I know the pain of this illness and there is hope. There is great hope. And I'm gonna go out and see her next year. And she lives near Melbourne and there's all these OA meetings in Melbourne. And I'm gonna take her. My family were astounded the way I looked and just, just they said there's something totally different about you and I told them all about the big book and the steps and my friends a lot of my friends I told them as well and the reaction was great all my amends were great and I owed people a lot of money and I'd let a lot of people down and every single person I went and I stood face to face with them and I told them I didn't apologize I wasn't there to apologize I was there to make amends there's a big difference in my opinion and I paid all that money back and I, and I explained why I was there and one of the things that happened when I was in Britain I was in Scotland at the time and I, the first two days I really didn't want to do ease and mens. So I was in a lot of fear and I, wasn't, I hadn't been to a meeting for about four or five days and I, and I couldn't find an OA meeting in the sit- town that I was in so I had to find an AA meeting and it was outside of Glasgow and um, I drove up there with my cousin and I couldn't find this AA meeting and I I needed I need meetings every day you know that's how bad it is for me I go to about 8 a week and I you know I was really it was like you know I needed to find a meeting I was really worked up and um, you know and I just prayed I said God please just help me find this meeting and I drove around the corner and there that meeting was and we went into the meeting and it was a small meeting AA meeting and it was so nice to me I walked in and they were talking about the 9 step Oh. And this woman was telling how she was scared about sitting in front of her mother and these relatives and how she needed to give this money back. And she told this story. And I just like broke down in tears. And they all looked at me. And, and they said, where are you from? And I went, I'm from here, but I'm in, in LA. And they went, no, oh, that figure's American. They're always <laughs> <coming in. laughs> and I said, you've got it. You've got it. I'm American now. And, uh, and they really they they were all hugging me at the end and they were going this is what a journey what a story you've come all the way over here to do your nine step and I told them about me praying to find God and they were kind of you know a little bit kind of in the sky's really you know really found it hasn't he? you know it's kind of weird and uh, you know it was just all these little things happened and then I was on I was sitting in Heathrow Airport with my big book, I carry my big book everywhere, everywhere with me. Like, right? I read it every day. And my St. Francis pen. I write all my prayers in it, and I, I say, oh, I'm always praying, you know, I'm always because I need to, you know. And uh, this woman sat next to me, she went, Oh, you're in program. And we're in the middle of Hebrew airport, Terminal 5. And I looked at her and I went, Yeah. And she tr- went, Yeah, I've got 20 years sobriety. And, and I said, Well, I'm, I'm actually compulsive as a reader. You know, it always kind of gets that weird kind of, What's that? You know, and I said, yeah, Well, I can't stop eating and I can't stop drinking. And we talked about that. And I keep meeting people wherever I travel. I travel a lot in my job. And I always meet people, so I'm always reading it. I don't hide it. But I'm not an evangelist either. I'm not doing that. Yeah. And uh, I have met a lot of people in airports, and we talk a lot. And, um, you know, there's there's great hope here. I've got some pictures of how bad I looked, I actually am smiling in these, and I looked a lot worse when I was drinking, and so I'll let you show those. And so what, the newcomers that have come in here, you know, this is a great day for you, it really is, because um, I was, if, if I can get recovery, then anybody can, because I was that bad and I'm not trying to work you know there's old people who have suffered a lot more than me but I was really hopeless and I couldn't find any solution I used to go to psychiatrists psychologists I even went to a a psychic in Malibu and paid all this money <laughs> because I was so desperate and of course that got me nowhere it less money in my pocket and um and I came in here and it just felt natural and it was just where I'm meant to be and um what I need to do now is just give as much back as I can and uh, help these men and women who call me and um, sponsor people to the best I pray every day for the two guys who have come to me and I pray that I'll be a good sponsor because if you could have seen my life the way it was the way it is now it's unrecognisable and I can't really explain to you what's happened to me it's much more than weight loss much more The weight loss doesn't isn't really even matter now it's the way I am inside I have lots of character defects and I can't remove them but God can and I pray every day that I am a better version of myself and uh, for the first time in a long time I'm beginning to like myself and that's an amazing thing for me there is still a lot of shame bulimia is a very shameful disease though it shouldn't be and a lot of self-loathing and one thing that happened a few weeks ago there was a girl who's bulimic in programme and I listened to her in the Friday meetings and I got so upset listening to her and she was saying how she was throwing up 20 times a day and I went and spoke to her afterwards and she started calling me, and um, she called me last night and said, I didn't throw up today, and you really are helping me a lot, and it just made me feel so good. Not ego, but just good, you know, it was a good thing to do. So I'm gonna stop now. Uh, do we have any questions? <laughs> are there any questions? I get really embarrassed when I cry, you know. But I just cry. I never cried before I came to the program. I'm crying all the time now. <laughs> Go ahead, Gavin. My question is this: uh, If you had to boil the, all the essence of the program into one or two sentences, so let's say for some reason you could only say one or two sentences, what would you tell someone? And you, what would I tell a you come out, The the the, the, yeah, sure. the bottom line of what this program yeah. is: it's getting as close to your higher power as you can. It's just it, it's a spiritual answer. Diets, meal plans, counting calories. That is not the answer. It helps. There are people who count calories and are on meal plans. It will help you it's a tool. That will not relieve this disease. It's it's trying to be the best version of yourself. And you'll never be perfect, you'll never be the best. But just trying to be decent. Just decent. And to do things decently and to be honest with people and I wasn't for most of my life and now I am trying to be that way and that's why I think I've lost all this weight that's it thanks Miguel talk a little bit about forgiving yourself uh, the process, in other words, because it's, it's very common for I, I know I suffer from being hard on myself. That's a great so, question. So like really that. developing compassion, not only towards others but more specifically towards yourself. That's a great question. How uh, do you how do you forgive yourself? You can't. You can't forgive yourself. I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive what I did to my wife and my mother and my sister. I can, but God can. And so by trying to live a decent life and and praying to, to have those defects of character removed and helping people you know when you're tired you don't want to take that call or you don't want to go and meet that person because you've had a 12 hour day in the office but you still go and do it then that's helping somebody sometimes I can't be bothered coming to this meeting and laying out all this stuff but I do it every week because I owe it to you because you've given me so much and that makes you feel better about yourself so it's action it's action, that's all it is just doing the right thing by people and I'm not a saint I'm not, I don't want people to think I'm some sort of righteous I'm, I'm really not I'm really struggling every day every day I'm really struggling the food, the alcohol has left me the obsession to drink has left me the food is with me every single day it never leaves me and I don't think it ever will and I can relapse like that if I don't come to these rooms. That's how serious it is for me. But good question. Is that answer it? Yeah. And Thank you so much, Michael. Um, I'm blown away. Thank you. Uh, I guess my question would be how has your higher power changed from when you first came in to how you are now? I don't think it has. You know, I don't think it has. I, I was brought up in a very strict Catholic house I'm a better Catholic today I know we don't talk about religion and program but for me you know uh, God is, uh, is is this all great power actually now you've come now I'm thinking about it yeah I used to think that God was a very um, judgmental and, and damning God if you didn't do something right and you would be damned to a you know to hell and all of that you know I used to get that drilled into me I don't think that at all I, mean, I think God's a very loving God I think God is in people i met so many people and that are good people and I think that's, you know God's kind of talking through them and so I think he's always there and I think but you need to reach out to him and you need to ask him and I never pray for myself anymore ever never ever pray for myself I pray for other people I pray for people in the rooms you know if I see somebody really suffering you know i pray for them and I'll pray for them every day I pray for my sponsees you know I pray for I pray for the people in this room I pray for my sponsor I pray for my mother every day and my sister and my sister is really suffering every day I pray for her and, and um, when I pray I feel a great power a great power coming to my life I can't explain it to you you know I have such energy now I, I didn't talk about uh, I do a lot of exercise I, when I'm running I do a lot of running every day and when I run I pray and so I'm running when I'm running up Santa Monica towards Malibu and I see the sun coming up over the Pacific I'm praying it's, and it's, it's a great feeling and he's always with me I don't need to go into a church to pray I do I went into that Catholic church today in Pasadena and I prayed today and um, I prayed for other people I think that's the question I think it's an all loving God an all loving God no judgment a new do is what do just do it just do it this is your first time here this is a fantastic day for you and, and you just keep coming back here because there's fantastic recovery and, and things are going to get so much better for you. So much better. Just do, just do the steps and read the big book and just do everything your sponsor asks. Find a good sponsor and your life will change beyond belief. That's all I think. Thank you guys. <laughs>